Welcome to Shorts by Peeps Creek, where every other hump Wednesday we bring you stories about crime, love, triumph, and adversity. I'm your host and author, Basak Sahar. We call our episode Shorts, short for short story. And all of the shorts you will hear on this podcast are fictional. That is, the names, characters, places, and events are the pure product of the author's imagination. Any resemblance to an actual person, dead or alive, or actual events are purely coincidental. The short you're about to hear discusses crime, murder, and contains adult language that may be sensitive to some. Listener discretion is advised. Now let's continue with the argument. Previously, in Chapter 1, Two Sides of the Coin, you met Andre, a corporate lawyer in D.C. who makes great money aiding large corporations. However, he recently read a news article about a crime that occurred in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and as a result, he began questioning his purpose. You are now entering into Chapter 2, The Aftermath. Let's go back two days in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The local police was canvassing the Romero family's six-bedroom, wretch-style home. It was a crime scene, and just like on TV, it was a large production. There were uniformed officers shouting orders to other uniformed officers. Crime analysts were in white puffy jumpsuits, squatting here and squatting there, taking pictures of the deceased, the blood splatter, the door, and everything else. This was officially a crime scene. It was no longer the quiet neighborhood with the Mexican-style six-bed ranch-style adobe home with the blue porch swing at the end of the cul-de-sac. The home, with its immaculate landscaping, was now enveloped by yellow crime scene tape, police cars, news vans, and bystanders. Again, this was definitely a crime scene. Sitting in a New Mexican breakfast restaurant, eating with his daughter, Detective Garcia received a phone call about 10.30 a.m. He was enjoying eating his egg whites and avocado with his 17-year-old daughter. When he picked up the phone, he was advised that he needed to arrive on the scene as quickly as possible. After hanging up with the chief, he finished his breakfast. He kissed his daughter, who at the time understood her father's crazy, although annoying, schedule all too well. He told her that he would make it up to her. He gave her two $20 bills to take care of the breakfast bill which was not going to be more than $20 anyhow. He walked to his 1978 red Camaro, a vehicle that he was very proud of. He turned on the ignition and sped off down Lomas Boulevard to head to the scene of the crime, humming as he always did when he was going to a scene of a crime. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when APD comes for you? Bad boys, bad boys. Ironically, a slight smirk always found its way on his face when he did this. It was a habit. But hell, when you're surrounded around cases where you have to speak for the dead in order to uncover what happened to them, in order for them to reach their eternal slumber, you have to find something in order to remain sane, or else you would become a cynic. And that's the best recipe for tunnel vision, something that Detective Garcia prided himself on not having too often. When he arrived at the scene, it was no longer a family home. It was a crime scene. He spoke with the first uniformed officer and asked, So what do we have here? 
The officer responded quickly, but confidently, as if he has been investigating these types of cases for years. We have a quadruple homicide from the looks of it. It appears to be a family of four. Excellent. Who arrived first? Detective Garcia said. Myself and Officer Armstrong, sir, the eager officer said, who had to be no more than 26 or 27 years old and completely wet behind the ears as it came to this crime scene shit, Detective Garcia thought. Any witnesses? Detective Garcia asked, out of protocol. Not that he really cared because he was sure that this would be documented in the reporting officer's report, especially since this was probably the first time he was able to actually do anything other than give out shitty speeding tickets or citations for having a tail light out. No witnesses, sir, to the actual crime. Only the cleaning lady who found the bodies. But, sir, I, I, I need to tell you, she's at the station. She's pretty sugaring up. Very difficult to get anything out of her because she was in such shock, the officer said. Okay. What's your name, officer? Detective Garcia asked. Officer Ryan, sir. All right, Officer Ryan. This is my crime scene now, and I'll appreciate it if you ensure that no one get past the yellow tape unless cleared by me. Do you think you can manage that? Absolutely, Detective. I can handle that. Officer Ryan said as he began walking towards the yellow tape. He took this job very seriously. He began walking and saying, All right, people, this is a crime scene. Let's push this line back. You, lady, get the fuck back. This is a crime scene. We ain't taking no questions. Get back. This is a crime scene for God's sake. As the lead detective on the scene, Detective Hector Garcia was already scanning the crime scene over. Images of the decedents kept playing in his head. Detective Garcia, a 24-year veteran of the Albuquerque Police Department, was tall with brown, vibrant skin. He had bags under his eyes due to the long nights and early mornings, but overall he was a very handsome guy. Despite his horrific schedule, you can tell from his bill that he found time to work out in the gym. Either that or he did Pilates in his living room, but that's doubtful. He had slight gray in here, but it was still well taken care of. He came off the type of guy that did not forget his style in jail and hairspray before he left the house. Detective Garcia walked into the front door of the house, and when he walked into the house, he was hit with the crime scene. Inside the living room was the first decedent, the patriot of the family, Eduardo Romero, a 66-year-old banker who was found in the living room by the cleaning woman. He was sitting in his rocker chair, apparently watching the news when he was attacked. There was a bullet in the center of his head. It appears as if it was by a nine millimeter. But of course, the Albuquerque police would have to wait until the ballistic examinations were completed to confirm that. But as the crime analysts were flashing their cameras at Eduardo's corpse, he was still sitting there with his head slouched forward as if he was nodding off in a mid-evening nap. Instead, this time, he will not be waking up from this slumber. As those religious folks might say, he was taking an eternal rest with the Lord. But before his body is able to be placed in his eternal sleeping chambers, evidence must be gathered and a story must be determined from the evidence as to how he entered into this eternal rest. Martha Romero, a 67-year-old retired school teacher, was found underneath the kitchen table lying in a pool of blood, her own blood, spilling out beneath her as if she was slowly draining her entire body's supply of the good red stuff. You know, blood. 
It was not clear from standing over the body if she was stabbed, shot, or bludgeoned to death. But the crime analysts have not yet repositioned the body. They were too busy taking pictures of the body from different angles, swabbing items near her, and wherever they believed that the carpet or culprits may have touched. Lying about 100 feet from Martha's wrangled body was a black hammer, the kind with the black oval tips. It was stained with what appeared to be blood, since the color of the hammer appeared to be brownish. Emily Romero, a 26-year-old female, was found in one of the side bedrooms, clothes strewn across the floor. She was laid across the bed, only dressing her bra and panties. These items were supposed to be white, but due to the blood smeared all over her body, it appeared as if she was wearing some pinkish underwear. Her hair was disheveled, as if she was out all night partying. However, it was clear that it was not partying that caused the disheveled look. Instead, it was whomever she was fighting for her life the night before, or maybe was it this morning? She put up a fight. It was clear from the way the crime scene looked. Furniture in the room was knocked all over the place. Pictures that once hung neatly on the wall now lay broken to pieces on the floor. From the looks of things, Emily may have been sexually abused, or perhaps she was positioned that way to throw off the investigators. It looked as if her throat was slit. The blood that soaked her bra and panties seemed to occur as a result of blood rushing out of a large enough wound. However, like Martha, the crime analysts were still taking photos of the things within the room and have yet to turn the body over to memorialize the front of Emily's corpse. In one of the far bedrooms laid the last decedent, Christopher Romero, a 35-year-old. By far, it appeared that whomever killed Christopher wanted him dead, wanted him gone. This was definitely a crime of passion. Was it a scorned lover? Was it a business deal gone bad? Was this related to drugs, given that Albuquerque does have a high crime rate associated with illegal drugs? The detectives clearly believed of the four victims, Christopher appeared to be the target. His crime scene was gruesome. He had been shot several times, including in the groin. It was obvious as his pants in that area were soaked with blood. Written on the wall and what appeared to be in blood were the words, Dirty Bastard. His body was laid in the center of the room, his arms stretched out wide, as if he was strategically placed in that position so that whomever found him would see him in this awkward position with his genitalia nearly completely shot off. Or was any of it even still there? Who knows, until the body is transported to the medical examiner for an autopsy, all of these suppositions were based upon visually scanning the crime scene. Like the other three victims, Christopher's corpse was not yet turned over by the crime analysts as they were continuing taking pictures of evidence. As the crime analysts were just snapping pictures here, snapping pictures there, swabbing this, swabbing that, fingerprints lifts here, fingerprint lifts there. It was a total crime scene. Detective Garcia told the crime analysts to ensure that they combed this place top to bottom before they moved any of the bodies. If there is a piece of dust out of place, he wanted to know where. If there was any hair, he wanted to know whose hair it was. Any fingerprints, he wanted to know. Any DNA, he wanted to know. Anything that did not belong to any of the four decedents, he wanted to know. 
The combing of the crime scene went on for what seemed like hours. The bodies were finally removed and taken to the coroner's office for examination. As Detective Garcia walked out of the house and towards his car, Channel 13 stopped him. Detective! Detective! Can we please get a statement? Detective Garcia looked at the young lady and thought to himself, No, you can't get a fucking statement. Shit, I'm exhausted. I've been literally standing around dead bodies all fucking morning. But he didn't say that. He simply smiled and said, Certainly. This was a horrific and senseless murder. We would scour the city and state and go as far as we need in order to find the killer or killers. We do ask that if anyone out there know anything about this murder, please reach out to the Albuquerque Police Department. After making his statement, he walked to his car, started the engine, put on his sunglasses, and drove off, headed to the police station to speak with the lady who found the bodies. Detective Garcia knew that this was going to be a long day. He knew that his day would very soon turn into night and that his night would very soon turn into day and that that would be the cycle until the killer or killers were found with respect to this quadruple murder. He figured prior to actually going into the station that he should actually stop and get some coffee. There was this new coffee shop that he was hoping to be able to try one day and what better way than to do it today. So he decided to do a pit stop at Peeps Creek Cafe and order him a large special spiced latte with an extra shot. The cafe was clean and had a retro feel to it, more like those cafes that you would go to and read and do research and would not want to leave. The workers were nice and they made the drinks with care. When he arrived at the station, he went first to his desk to determine if he received any calls related to the crime. There were none. He went to talk to the chief. Chief! Detective Garcia said, the crime scene was a complete mess. Whoever wanted this family dead made sure that they accomplished just that. Any leads so far? The chief asked. No, not yet. I'm about to question the maid who found the bodies and called in to report the crime. From what I understand, she is beside herself with grief and shock, Detective Garcia said. I can only imagine. Let me know if you need anything from me, the chief said. Real do. I doubt this would be as a long meeting given the state that she's in, Detective Garcia said. I just hope that we're able to solve this crime quickly. We don't need any more failed crime investigations. Detective Garcia began walking down the hall to the witness interrogation room. He walked in and sitting at the table was a chunky Hispanic woman who had to be no more than 50 years old. She was still sobbing. She had seen images that she never quite imagined having to process. Detective Garcia remembered how seeing the dead for the first time, especially a dead person killed in a gruesome or horrifying way, took him by surprise. She continued sobbing. Her face looked as if she had seen a ghost. She was present, yet she was not. Detective Garcia composed himself, stepped forward, and pulled the chair out in front of the chunky Hispanic woman and sat down. Ma'am? He said lightly. She only looked up. I, I, I know this is difficult, ma'am, but I'm going to have to ask you a few questions. Detective Garcia said. She continued staring at him with eyes that said, please, not today, any day but today.
okay, she said with a rather heavy Latin accent. But I don't know much, she said. That's okay, Detective Garcia said. We will start with some basic things and move from there. Is that okay? Yes, she said. Okay, how long have you worked for the Romero family? Why, uh, 10 years. And for those 10 years, did you ever notice anything or notice anyone you thought had an issue with the Romero family? No, no. They were good people. I, I, I come to clean twice a week and they always treated me well. I never knew anyone that would want to do them harm. Okay, Detective Garcia said. Tell me what happened today. I, I arrived around 9.45, like I normally do. I, I had my own key. I, I noticed Mr. Romero's car was still in the driveway, which is not normal because he's normally at the bank. So I, I first rang the bell because if he was there, I didn't want to walk in and maybe he not be dressed. But there was no answer. Okay, Detective Garcia said. Did you notice anything else out of the ordinary other than Mr. Romero's car? No, no, not until until I opened the door and I saw him. I just shut the door and I ran to my car crying and, and I, I called the police. Did anyone come out and say anything to you? Detective Garcia asked. No, I, I just saw the gardener near the neighbor's house, but that was it. Detective Garcia thought to himself, interesting. A gardener? He asked, did he, did he come and check on you? No, she said. She began sobbing again. Again, that piqued Detective Garcia's interest. He thanked her and told her he understood how she felt and that perhaps it was better for her to go home and if she thought about anything else, for her to give him a call. He signaled to the other officer to take care of her, to ensure that she got home safely. Detective Garcia stood up. He began walking to his office. The entire time thinking, who is this gardener? Something he would definitely need to find out. Alright, my friends out there in podcast Landia, it is time for this short to end. So until we meet again, remember here at Shorts by Peeps Creek, we tell original stories dedicated to crime, love, triumph, and adversity. Don't forget to listen, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast directory, and be sure to tell a friend. Send tips, feedback, or other ideas about how the next chapter in this short should unfold by sliding into my DMs on Instagram at Basaxahart, or you can leave a message or text at 202-618-0043, or visit the website at peepscreek.com, that's spelled P-E-E-P-S-C-R-E-E-K. All of the music... For the podcast is created by my brother Crazy Drake out of Detroit, Michigan for Blazing Heat Music. Until the next time here at Peeps Creek Cafe, we will continue to listen, drink, create, and converse. Peace and love.